Hey, welcome to ACF Church, and we're so glad that you're with us watching this message online. And our hope is that it would encourage you to be more like Jesus and walk closely with Him as an apprentice of Christ. And our hope is to give away all of these resources for free as much as possible. It takes a lot of time and energy and people to make that happen. And if you'd like to support the mission of God financially for ACF Church, you can go to acfak.org and you can give there. Now enjoy the Word of God proclaimed. Let's celebrate being at church together this morning. Can we do that? Come on. Hey, if you're with us online too, we love you. We are grateful that you're part of our family as well. Get in the chat and maybe tell us where you're watching from uh, today. So, hey, thanks for being here this morning. If you're brand new to ACF, we are excited that you're here. Uh, we are a church for the churched, the unchurched, and the dechurched. So wherever you're at with your journey with Jesus, uh, this is just a space for you. So um, also just a big deal today, it is Baptism Sunday. So really excited about that. If you're new to our church, you might not know this, this is kind of our routine, is that once a month we fill up the baptism tank, and we just felt like God was leading us to do that, to provide the opportunity for people to take their next step in their faith. And so today, if uh, you are a follower of Jesus and you've not yet been baptized, today is your day. I want to encourage you to do that. Uh, A lot of times when we uh, think about our faith or think about following Jesus, we sort of see it like a buffet, you know? Like, I like this part of Jesus and that part of Jesus and this little part, and I'll just kind of mix it up, but the other stuff I'm not going to deal with. it. But really, when we choose to follow Jesus, it's bending our knee to God and surrendering everything we are to Him. So that's what it means to do. And so that's, that means sometimes getting uncomfortable and pushing ourselves out of our, our comfort zones occasionally. Uh, you need to know, uh, if you want to get baptized today, we're not going to get you up here and embarrass you. We're not going to make you say something on the mic, you know. What are your three favorite Bible verses? Uh, there's nothing wrong with that. You're like, I don't know one. Uh, you know. So we're not going to embarrass you. We're not going to do that. We just want you to take this next step because that's what Jesus said to do. Uh, he got baptized and he said, hey, now go and baptize people. And so that's what we're doing. And, and if you're not a follower of Jesus, then uh, I want you just to cons- consider uh, maybe taking that step today. Maybe today God's going to speak to you. And if he does, maybe just taking that step forward in your faith. We've got some people in the lobby at the Decided booth that would love to help you uh, take that next step. So if at any point during my message you need to get up and go back there and check in, get some information, feel free to do that. Uh, that's no problem. Then at the end of our gathering today, during the last couple of songs, we're going to have some baptisms up here, so I'm really excited about it. It's just been a good morning so far, seeing people take that next step in their faith. And also, before we get too far into the message today, um, I just felt like, like God was saying, let's just stop and pray for what's going on in Ukraine for just a few moments. Um, I don't know, I came into church today feeling kind of heavy. I don't know, maybe you felt that in the room here today. Uh, there's just kind of a heaviness about what's going on globally and I need to be with you guys. I need to be reminded that, uh, that, that God is here and that God is over all the things that are going on global, globally and that redemption is ultimately coming. So that is what we believe as followers of Jesus. And so we don't fear what's going on. 
but we, we do want to be praying for restoration and healing um, as we see people overseas, especially our Christian brothers and sisters who are continuing to try to follow Jesus and help people um, in their time of need. Also, if you're like, how do I help? Uh, we are part of this greater family called the Christian and Missionary Alliance, and we have a wing of the alliance called Kama, which is Compassion and Mercy Associates. It, it's kind of like our FEMA for the alliance. So people go into these types of places, and they just share Jesus, and they also meet physical needs. And so currently, Kama is mobilized and uh, heading into Ukraine to help uh, uh, women and children and, and just anybody that needs to get out of there to try to mobilize them and get them out of harm's way. And so uh, you can read more about that on our national website, or uh, and, and you can actually see ways to give to that if you'd like to just be uh, generous towards those needs right now. So would you just bow your heads? I want to pray for those people right now. Jesus, oh man, we live in a world that desperately needs you. And uh, God, we need you first and foremost. And so God, as we look at what's broken overseas, as we look at governments and uh, individuals that are not honoring you and honoring each other, God, we start with ourselves. And uh, God, we are men and women of unclean lips and unclean hearts. Apart from your grace, God, we have no redemption. But through your grace, God, we do have a relationship with you. And, and Father, we pray for these, uh, these men, women, and children in Ukraine, God, that are, that are fearful, that are scared, uh, that are maybe stuck underground right now trying to avoid um, just, just being harmed. God, we pray for your peace in them. We claim that today. You are a God of peace. And we claim what's coming. God, one day this world will be at peace, but right now we see war. God, we see suffering and struggle, God. And we know that that's all really the world can do apart from you. That without you and your influence in our lives, what we do is destroy ourselves, God. So that's, that's what's going on, but we do just pray that you would, uh, God, you would really invade the hearts of those who are in charge. Uh, God, both in Ukraine as well as uh, in Russia, God. I know there's, there's men and women there that, that don't want to be a part of this and that are struggling. And so, God, there's a lot going on that we don't understand, but we do understand, God, uh, that you love to bring hope and light to the darkness. And that's what we're praying for today. We love you. Pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you want to grab a Bible, open up to Matthew chapter 4, or you can download the ACF Church app, and uh, all the text is going to be there. This is going to be a little bit of a different message today. It's going to be a lot of almost Q&A. Um, we're closing out our search history series, and this has been a conversation about our core doctrinal beliefs. Like, what do we believe if we say we're Christians? And so if you're new, I want you to go back, and you can watch all of those messages online and uh, get a sense of, of what we believe about a lot of different things um, as, as Christians. And today, I'm closing out with, with talking about the kingdom of God and talking about kind of what's coming next for us. And at this point in Matthew chapter 4, Jesus, he's just been baptized. He's been tempted in the desert for 40 days. Uh, Satan is tempting him. And then he comes back uh, to town. And he hears that John the Baptist has been arrested. And if you don't know who John the Baptist or John the Baptizer was, uh, he showed up before Jesus proclaiming a message. And he, he, he just preached the same message. He said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. Repent for the kingdom of, of heaven is at hand. And so John has been arrested. Jesus begins his ministry. And in Matthew 4, 17, we read, from that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. So Jesus stole his first sermon, we could say. Uh, this was Jesus' first uh, sermon and also may, maybe his most, um, fa his favorite sermon. He, he says this over and over again throughout the Gospels. Jesus says, hey, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. And if you're like, those sound like churchy words. I'm not sure what that means. Maybe here's a way to say it. Uh, it's time to change your mindset about life because heaven just showed up. 
It's the BCT, the Brian Cook translation. Um, <laughs> I only have one verse. I got a lot of work to do. Do the whole New Testament. Anyway, it's time to change your mindset about life. That's really what repentance is. Like, I don't know how you showed up to church today seeing the world, um, but it's time to see the world a little different. Um, also, it, it, people are just coming in continually. We just, God's continuing to bring people. So look around. If you need to squeeze together in the rows to continue to make space, make sure you do that as well. Um, as we continue, this, there's this idea, like repent. The kingdom of heaven is near. Like there's something going on. Heaven just showed up through Jesus. And so something is changing. Uh, some of you know kind of the, some of the story of our lives. My wife and I, we've got three kids. Um, and the way my son Grayson came into the world um, wasn't the way we had expected. So um, Amanda, she's nine months pregnant, had been scheduled to have Grayson. I was outside this particular day. I came inside the door and shut the door, and all of a sudden I hear my pregnant wife from upstairs screaming. Um, she's upstairs in the bathroom just screaming, Honey, get up here. Not what you want to hear. Um, as a dad, and so I get up there, and I'm going I'm to spare you the details, uh, but it was, it was bad, uh, and, and so she's like, she's like, call the ambulance, something's wrong, um, and, and so I called the ambulance, they came out, they wheeled her outside, she's going in and out of consciousness, and with my, pre- my, 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 my uh, child inside of her, right, and so they get her inside the ambulance, and we're driving, uh, we get out on the Glen Highway, and they were doing about 30 miles an hour. This is wintertime, a little snowy outside. I'm losing my mind because I'm like, I think we can go faster than 30. Um, but, but I'm not the professional here, so I'm just kind of shut up and, and let it happen. And so they're driving along, and uh, I hear them in the back, and they're working on Amanda. And, uh, and then I hear, uh, I hear, we can't hear a heartbeat from the baby. And I'm just terrified, right? And just, I just start praying, right? And I'm like, what's going on? And they're like, but we, we've got our, our old baby heart monitor. We, we, we should have brought the new one or something. And I was like, why is there an old one in the ambulance? Like, <laughs> to throw the old one out, I will buy you a new heart monitor uh, for the ambulance. And so we get to Providence Hospital. We're out front, and we stop at the light. No sirens, no. Anyway, again, I'm just like, I'm, I'm like, what's going on? And uh, we stopped twice through two lights because there was some traffic, and then finally got to the hospital, and I will tell you, to this day, that was the longest ride of my entire life. I mean, it, it, it felt like it took years to get from Chugiak to Anchorage, and, and I was just, man, there was so much tension and so much pressure and so much fear, and I, I wonder if some of you, as you look at the world, if it just your life kind of feels like the longest ride of your life. Like, like the way things are going, and it, it's, like, it's like days turn into years, and minutes feel like hours, and it just feels like everything is taking forever. And some of you have just said over and over again, even this week, like, come, Lord Jesus, come. Like, like would you just show up and invade this world, God, and change the way that things are? It just feels like this, this ongoing, never-ending ride, this trip. I just kind of want to get off you know, off the ride. It's taking forever to get there. And and there's this, as believers in Jesus, there is something we're looking forward to, right? There is a joy to come. There's a redemption to come. And and so I want to talk today about a question that I think a lot of people have, and it's this, what's after death? Like, what really is to come next? And some of you are like, I didn't think that this is what we're going to talk about at church today, but I'm going to get into heaven. We'll talk about hell a little bit. Like if you brought your friend for the first time to church today, it was the right time to bring him. Like it's going to get, we're going to cover all the stuff today because these are real questions that people wonder about. And so one of the things, if you stick around here uh, very long, you'll find is that we want to deal with issues head on. 
And we don't want to skirt around topics. These are difficult topics that, that uh, a lot of us have big questions about is what's after death? What is heaven? What is hell? Like who goes to which? How does that all work? And we'll, we'll talk more about that. But I want to talk a little bit about the misconceptions we might have. And maybe kind of debunk uh, some beliefs that I've heard from people even in the church over the years. And so uh, let's cover a few of those. The first misconception I've heard a lot is that when we die, we cease to exist. This is like this idea that I, I no longer am aware of anything. Just at some point, I cease to exist. Which for me, if this is the way you view things, I start to go down this spiral where I just start to think that nothing really matters in the end. Because if, if what's coming is nothing, then what I do here doesn't really matter. I mean, really, there, I should just live my life, do whatever feels good to me. Just, I need to, I need to, I need to get mine out of life, and then whatever's next, I'll just kind of disappear. And so, it's kind of a hopeless reality if that's what you think. Another misconception is that everyone goes to heaven. We would call this universalism, which is just kind of everybody here just goes there, which doesn't sound like heaven to me, honestly. Like, if everybody, if that's just a relocation. If everybody here just goes to what's next, I'm guessing it's going to look a lot like what's here, right? So I don't see a lot of hope in that way of seeing things. Another one is that good people go to heaven, right? Well, if you're good enough, you go to heaven, which begs the question, how good? How good do I have to be, right? Kind of the standard ones that people throw out there is, well, I'm not Hitler, so, you know, I'm, I'm not, but I'm not Mother Teresa. Those are the two that we throw out pretty quick, you know. Uh, I'm not Mother Teresa, but I'm not Hitler. I'm somewhere in the middle, hopefully a little beyond whatever the, the gap is I need to shoot so that I get into eternity with God. Uh, the question is, like, how good and compared to who, right? You're like, well, I'm better than my classmates, you know. And, of course, saying you're better than Hitler, that's a little bit of a low bar. So I don't know who we're going to set as the standard. Or maybe you believe that bad people go to hell. Same question, how bad? You know, I've been a pretty bad person at points in my life, you know. I, what, what, do you, what, what does it take to, to be too bad, or is it like a certain percentage of your life, and you know, how do you weigh the things that you did? Is one thing worse than another, and, and who determines that? Is it just you, or society, or the law, like whatever? It gets very complicated and becomes a mess. Another one that people believe is that we are reincarnated. Many different religions believe that you get essentially endless chances, right? But that's kind of nice. I can just screw this life up, and I get another one. So, you know, redo. Uh, I guess it doesn't really matter in the end. And then one I hear a lot is this, we become angels. Uh, many people, like, and I wrote, with harps? Um, angels with harps? Is it like, what kind of image do you have in your mind, you know, of like we're kind of floating on the clouds or something like that? Just so you know, the Bible does not teach that we become angels. There are angels, um, but when somebody dies, heaven doesn't get another angel. That's not what happens. That's not what the Bible teaches at all. And so uh, as we kind of move forward, there, there's questions that come up about all of this. Like, how does it really go down for the Christian? And I want to speak specifically, if you are a follower of Jesus, what does the Bible say comes next for you? And, and as I read, what I see are essentially two stages of the life to come. And, and uh, many people have called it the intermediate stage and the final stage. Like stage one, stage two. And so the first stage I would describe as this. When we die... Our souls are perfected and go immediately to be with Jesus in heaven. So at a, at a soul level, your soul is perfected after death, and then you go immediately to be with Jesus. So this is, this is hope for us in the room, right? Is that we believe that no matter what happens on the drive home from church today, that if I follow Jesus, 
and, uh, and, and I end up dying for whatever reason, I'm going to actually go and be with Jesus today. Not into some kind of soul sleep, not some kind of intermediate thing, but today. 2 Corinthians 5.8 says, Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. And so at a soul level, you go and you're with Jesus in heaven. Then stage two is this. When Jesus returns to earth, we return with him, having a perfected body and soul. Okay? So uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 42 says, Our earthly bodies are planted in the ground when we die, but they will be raised to live forever. And so the, the story, it's, it's more than what many people think. Many people have just been kind of taught, you, you either go to heaven or you go to hell. Like, that's the end of the story. But that is not the end of the story at all. We see this, like, this transition at a soul level to go and be in heaven, but then at the return of Jesus, our bodies are resurrected. And we don't know what that, that's going to look like, but somehow, like, our bodies are coming up out of the grave, like, just like Jesus did. And, and, and we're going to be reunited with our bodies, but it's going to be a good body. Like, it's... You know, it's, it's going to be a great perfected body, whatever, uh, whatever that looks like. And so uh, we believe that, that uh, we are both soul and body. And in the next life to come, we're going to be both soul and body as well. And this is an important thing for us because I think a lot of people see like maybe the soul is something that you should focus on, but the body doesn't really matter. In fact, um, when Paul was writing this letter, he's dealing with uh, these, these Gnostic people. And these, these Gnostic people would believe that uh, the body is evil, but the soul is good. And I think even whether we know it or not, many of us kind of believe that. We think, do whatever in the body that you want to do. Like, there's no connection between the body and the soul, but I actually believe that they are deeply intertwined. That your body, what you do in your body does affect your soul. And some of you have experienced this on a variety of different levels. Like, you made a bodily decision, and it, and it affected you in a deep and personal way. And so those are both intertwined, and one day they will be redeemed. So then the question is, well, who goes where, right? Which brings up like judgment, the final judgment. Is there a final judgment and what does that look like? The answer is, yes, there is a final judgment. That's what the Bible teaches. Uh, and, and what is that? 2 Corinthians 5.9 speaks about this uh, for believers. It says, so whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him, being God. For, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. So everybody goes to a day of judgment. And the Bible teaches about two specific judgments. The first is for the non-believer. It's called the white throne judgment. You can read more about it in Revelation 20, 11. Uh, and, and in this judgment for the non-believer, really there's a question. And the question is, is your name written in the book of life? And this is how the Bible describes it. There's like a book. I don't know what it looks like. I kind of wonder, you know. Like, is it, is it big? Is it, it's got to be huge. I think of like, you know, like, like a huge list or something like that. Is it digital? I don't know. Like, what the book of life actually looks like. All I know is there are names written in it, and there are names that are not written in it. And that's going to be the question for the non-believer. Is your name written in the book of life? And then they're going to make an account. In one way or another, make an account for what they did on earth in the body. Which, you know, at some point we would go, man, I... That's scary, but it's also, that's judgment. Like, God is a just judge. And, and we are not just judged, but ultimately, God's judgment is good and just. So the big question is going to be, did you have faith in Jesus? Did you know the Lord for the non-believer? For the believer, there's another judgment, and it's called the Bema Seat judgment. And, and it's also known as 
Uh, Bema is just mercy. So it's the judgment of the mercy seat of God. And so we will go before God for judgment as well. Now, what's that going to look like? And I don't know the image you've had in your mind. I've, I've kind of had this image of like a flat screen TV, and then all my friends are gathered around, and then, you know, God's going to like turn on the TV and play like all of my worst moments. You know, it's going to be the greatest hits of the worst stuff Brian ever did, and I'm going to be really embarrassed, and then God's going to go, but my grace is sufficient for you, and then he's going to let me in. And uh, that's not what the Bible teaches, by the way. Like, there's no purpose in that. Uh, the Bible talks about our sin as being as far as the east is from the west, um, that Jesus has, has already conquered your sin, uh, and so it's already been dealt with. There's no reason to embarrass or shame you, and so I don't see any reason that God's like, I'm going to play the worst hits of Brian's life for everyone to see. So then you go, well, then why judgment? What is this judgment? And the judgment isn't going to be about, did you know Jesus for the believer? It's going to be about how faithful were you? Did you obey me? Did you do what I asked you to do? And so that, those questions, that question itself specifically, is not about punishment, it's about reward. So if you're already in Christ, your eternity has been set. You're going to go and be with God for eternity, but... There's something about reward here, and I don't understand it. Like, I have lots of questions. I'm just talking this morning about the things we know. There's a lot we don't know. Like, rewards in heaven really confuse me. I'm like, is it like a bigger house than somebody else's house? You know, is there like a side-by-side and maybe like a wakeboard boat involved? Or, you know, like, do I get a lake? Like, what, what does this look like? I don't know, my, my glorified body, I'm like all, like, big old muscle. Like, I don't know what I get for being faithful in this life in the next. All I know is this, there won't be jealousy, so it won't be because I'm showing myself to be better than somebody else. Other people aren't going to be like, man, oh, I just like can't stand my part of heaven. I just wish Brian, I had his part of heaven. I don't think that's going to be going on. I think it's just in some way or another, what we do here does affect what happens there. That's something to keep in mind as believers. It's like, am I being faithful in this life today? So in that next life, what does it look like, right? What, what is eternity with God? What does heaven look like? Uh, one of my favorite authors, C.S. Lewis, uh, he had some interesting thoughts about heaven, but he said heaven is, is this. He said heaven is this ever-increasing, further up, further into joy, into God, and into life. I like that. Ever-increasing, fur- further up, ever into God and into life. But then he says hell is the opposite of that. It is an everlasting movement away from God. So if heaven is this constant growing towards God, getting closer to God, this constant joy after joy after joy, and I love that idea that you will never get sick of the joys of eternity with God, that it'll it'll be joy upon joy upon joy that we experience with God, which means that hell is the opposite of that. Instead of focusing for all of eternity, our affections on God, hell is all of eternity moving inward on ourselves. That really is a great way to describe hell, is a life focused inward on ourselves. Have you ever had like a, uh, like a really, really dark night, just laying in bed, where you're just tossing and turning and you can't sleep, and, and there's something you said or something you did or something from your life that you just can't get away from? Have you ever felt that before? You guys are looking at me like I'm crazy. Okay, I feel this sometimes. Um, where I have long nights, and I'm like, I wish I could get away from this feeling, and, and uh, I'm just dealing with my own shame and, and my own guilt, and those are just, those are bad nights, right? I wake up the next day, and it's not good, and I just imagine hell is that forever. Hell is this ongoing, deep obsession 
with myself. I mean, in many ways, that would be hell. And there are a lot of other images that the Bible uses to describe hell, but certainly hell is a place that's devoid of all grace, of all peace. And so it's an everlasting if, you know, existence like, like that, this decay, this dehumanization of people where you ret- retreat deeper and deeper into this everlasting obsession with me. As we continue in the kind of the biblical narrative of heaven and hell, um, what we see is that heaven and hell aren't just something out there. They're also something right here. It's actually something that we see on earth. So Jesus shows up and he says, hey, repent for the kingdom of God is here. Sometimes he'll use the kingdom of God or kingdom of heaven. It's the same language. The kingdom, my kingdom, is here. And this is language we use as a church family all the time. Our vision as a church is that it would be in Alaska as it is in heaven, right? And the reason that's our vision is because that's what Jesus taught us to pray. If you know the Lord's Prayer, anybody grow up with that? Um, I, I knew the, the Lord's Prayer growing up, and it, it was to pray that it would be on earth as it is in heaven. That's right. So we pray that, and that's our desire, is that it would be in Alaska as it is in heaven. And, and, and every time, listen, every time you leave here, and you go love somebody, serve somebody, forgive someone in the name of Jesus, you bring heaven to earth. You literally bring a little bit of heaven. And we live in this in-between moment in human history where we kind of live somewhere between heaven and hell, right? Like, like we see heaven on earth, but we also see a lot of hell on earth. And that's what many of us have been watching on the news lately. And, and maybe some things that you've experienced in your life, you're like, that was, that was hell on earth. And so we actually see that uh, on earth, that, that heaven and hell aren't just out there. There's something that we see right here. And our language kind of communicates that we believe that, whether we know it or not. Like, have you ever had like a great day? I mean, the best day, where you woke up and, and like you had breakfast and it just tasted extra good and like you went to work and everything went really well and you spent time with your friends and man, everybody's just happy and you told great stories and you, you know, you ate great food and you sat down on your couch at the end of the day and you're like, today was a little piece of heaven, right? I mean, some of you, like you just ate a great steak and you're just like, have anybody had this steak? Like this is heaven in my mouth, Right? I mean, that's the kind of language that we use for it because I think intuitively we know we can kind of taste heaven here today. And it's not in its fullness. It's not what it is to come, but it's like a taste of what's going what's gonna to happen in eternity with God. But at the same time, have you ever had a really bad day where you woke up and you got out of bed and you had a headache and you got in the car and backed out of the driveway and hit the neighbor's mailbox, you know, and then you got to work and everybody's angry at each other, and, and you're getting emails all day long about things that went wrong, and you're late on a deadline, and you come out, and the tire's flat on the car, you know, and the mailbox is still sticking out of the corner of your car, and, you know, you back out of the parking lot, and you go home, and, and everything falls apart, and you'd sit on your couch, and you'd be like, today was, today was hell. And, and maybe you wouldn't say that. Just your pastor would say that, okay? So I would say that, and I'm actually making a theological statement when I say that, because it is a taste of the world apart from the peace of Jesus. Like we can literally feel both of those things at the same time here on earth. And, and here's, here's the crazy thing, is that we all have the power to bring heaven or hell into our lives. You have that power. I have that power. And every single day we wake up and make decisions. Are we going to bring a little bit of heaven into our lives or are we going to bring a little hell into our lives? And we have that choice. Some things are beyond our choice, but there is so much that is within our choice. You see, when sin entered the world, we read about it in Genesis, hell actually showed up. 
We see Satan right there at the beginning, right? Tempting Eve. And so that means that when we want to go and share the gospel, tell people about Jesus, that it's not just about getting them into heaven. Do you understand that? Like, like if we get this idea that we experience both of those things today, but then we'll experience them in fullness in eternity, then evangelism isn't just about getting people into heaven. It's about getting heaven into people. It's about giving them a little taste, a foretaste of what's to come here on earth. And so when you do that in the name of Jesus, you are giving people a vision for something better. Like you're sh- and I see it all the time. Where somebody shows up to church and they're like, yep, somebody from ACF, man, I just like noticed them at work and they were different. And everywhere they went, they brought peace with them. And then you guys showed up and you like raked my yard during Impact Eagle River. And then I went to the fireworks show out here. And then, you know, one of my other friends started talking to me about their faith. And all of a sudden I just realized, man, I was getting little tastes of heaven and it made me want more. And sometimes you come to the point where you go, man, I want it so much. Maybe I'm willing to bend my knee to this God. Maybe I'm willing to call myself a Christian and follow Jesus. So listen, man, I know there's a little heaven here. There's a little hell here. And the joy for believers is this, that this is as close to hell as you'll ever get. This world is as close to hell as you'll ever get, but I think the warning to non-Christians is that this is as as close to heaven as you'll ever get. And and so this is the reality of this bigger narrative that that exists in the Bible about heaven and hell. Um, The word hell is used throughout the Bible. In the Old Testament, um, it's this word sheol, which is uh, literally defined the pit. And, and this, I think, is why people tend to go that, like, heaven is up here and hell is down there, because language like the pit um, exists, although uh, it's not really a geographical location, necessarily. But certainly, if you've spent any time in a pit, not a great place to be, not a whole lot of vision, you're stuck in a hole, right? I've dug some ditches in my life, and I would not want to spend eternity there. Uh, the New Testament has three words uh, specifically describing hell, translated into hell. Uh, the word Hades the word Tartaru, and the word Gehenna. And I want to focus on the word Gehenna because that's one often, uh, maybe one of the most often used words for hell in the New Testament. And Gehenna was actually referring to a place just outside of Jerusalem. Uh, And and so this place still exists today. It's called the Valley of Hinnom. Can we put that picture up there? Um, I was actually able to go go do kind of the Holy Land tour a few years ago. And uh, the guy that was driving us around was like, oh, you you guys know what? Uh, we should take you to hell. And I was like, no, let's not go there. Um, and he's like, no, 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 we're going to take you to the place, the Valley of Hinnom. And so this is just outside of the walls of the old city. Um, it's, it's a park today. It looks very nice. I'm like, I could hang out in hell for a little bit. Um, but it's a pastor joke, I'm sorry. Um, but this, it's interesting that this exists and it's beautiful today, but historically it was, it was a horrific place. I mean, historically, this is where they burned all of the trash if you've ever been around a trash fire, it's nasty. Uh, just the smell, and uh, historically also most scholars believe that they would have child sacrifices in this location. And so this location is a place historically of great suffering and flames and pain and murder. And, and this is the language that's used to describe hell, is a place outside of the city walls, a place of suffering, a place of pain. And this place, once again, still exists. Side note, there's a sign uh, in the park that says no fires. So, irony. Um, interestingly enough, hell also is not a place that Satan lives or reigns. Some of you maybe have in your mind, like Satan sitting on like a big 
throne, you know, with like his pitchfork and his little minions around him, and he's like, he's running hell. Uh, That's not what the Bible says. Uh, In fact, the book of John says that Satan doesn't live in hell. He actually lives here. Call Satan the ruler of this world. And so Satan is existing here, and we see hell here on earth every single day. And although he has authority, it's a limited authority. We've said this before, that Satan is like a dog on a leash. God is the ultimate ruler over the world, but for a time, for a season, Satan has power in the world. And we're seeing that all over the place right now. So then what does this return of Jesus look like? So we understand kind of a little bit about heaven, a little bit about hell. What does it look like when Jesus comes back? And I want to talk about kind of a bigger story than maybe what you've heard before. Um, And if you're a reader, I want to suggest a book. Uh, Go pick up a book called Skeletons in God's Closet by Joshua Ryan Butler. Um, It's just one of my favorites that I pass out to people who are trying to understand heaven and hell a little better. Um, but he talks about uh, what's, what he calls the problematic story and the gospel story. And so maybe this is kind of what you've been taught growing up, and this is the end of the story for you. Like, you're here on earth, and then somebody said, hey, here you are, you're, you're here on earth, and you can go to heaven or you can go to hell and burn forever. Which one do you want? It's like, well, I guess I'll take the heaven, right? I don't know. Like, and in many ways, like, this is a, this is a very limited, incorrect, uh, non-biblical way to view our eternity. It's just like, you just go to heaven or you go to hell, and that's the end. What we see in the gospel story is a much bigger narrative. We see currently heaven existing, which it does, which is where God is reigning and ruling in authority, and then on earth we see a lot of hell on earth. We see Satan, again, as the ruler of this world. And so we're experiencing a lot of that right now. And then we see Jesus returning, that heaven literally comes to earth. And when heaven comes to earth, God contains the evil in the world and sends that evil outside of the city walls. And so if you remember that, the Valley of Hinnom, kind of that idea that like the flames are outside the city, the way the Bible talks about the return of Jesus is that he's, he's creating this new Jerusalem, this great city that he, he invites all of his people to live within the security of the walls of the city. And so at the same time, what he does is he then removes the evil from the world. Revelation 5, 9, this is John's vision of what eternity is going to be like for us. He says, and they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals for you were slain, speaking to Jesus, and and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. So uh, heaven's a very diverse place of people from all over the world. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they shall reign on the earth. So once again, if you're still like, I'm still caught in that, I spend eternity as like, you know, an angel flying around in heaven. Um, That's just not what the Bible says. The Bible says that if you're a follower of Jesus, you will reign and rule with him for eternity here. In a perfected body, on a perfected earth, with perfected friendships, and it's going to be awesome. Like, it's going to be so much better than I think many of us believe. And so, um, if you're like, okay, Brian, can you distill what we believe about heaven and hell? Uh, I can. So here's a statement for you. So we believe in a a literal heaven and a literal hell, and that true believers will live and reign in resurrected bodies with God for all of eternity, and that those who don't want a God on earth won't be forced to live with him in the life to come. And so essentially that really is the question, do you want a God or do you want to be God? And you make that decision today 
And that decision does affect your eternity. But the imagery in our minds, I think, is kind of twisted because some people are like, man, I struggle with this idea that we're inside the city of God and like we're enjoying all of these blessings of being with God. And then my friends and neighbors that don't know Jesus are like pounding on the doors going, let me in, I'm burning, you know. And this is not the way the Bible describes heaven and hell. Uh, C.S. Lewis famously said, the doors of hell are locked from the inside. It's this idea that like, if you didn't want a God on earth, you don't want one in eternity. So we just don't see a lot of, uh, of defense of like, no, there's like a, a post-mortem uh, repentance going on here. No, it's like you make decisions today, and that, that decision, like that is your decision, whether you want a God, whether you want to worship a king and be part of his kingdom, and God's going, if you don't want me to be king, and if you don't want to live in my kingdom, then I'm not going to make you. But at the same time, we see God protecting his children and containing the evil of the world outside of this new Jerusalem, this new city. And so it's kind of like I was thinking about it like a dad. So if I've, let's say I have two kids, and um, let's say one of the children, they want to follow me, they want to they listen to me, they're, they're kind to the other child, they're living in a good way, honoring the other child, honoring me. And then the other child is abusing their, 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 their brother or their sister. Let's say that child is not want, wanting to honor me, doesn't want to follow me, and grows up and is ultimately abusing the sibling, right? And at some point, you would say, as a good dad, you would create some separation between the children, right? Like, you don't just sit back and go, have fun for all of eternity. No, you would create separation of the children. So this is what God essentially does. He says, hey, if you don't want a king in a kingdom, and you don't want to show my love to others, I'm not going to force you, but I will protect the one that does want to follow me. And I will actually, you can also see it as an act of mercy on the one that's, that's rebelling because separating them from the world means they can no longer create that kind of destruction. They, they can no longer abuse others. And so there's this like separation that God creates once he returns. One of the questions that comes up too is like, people don't ask how long heaven is, but they do ask how long hell will last. That's a pretty common question. Um, there's two, I want to just touch on this real quick. There's two pervading views today on uh, the length of hell. Uh, the first is the ECT or the eternal conscious torment view. Um, some of you, like most of you probably, if you grew up in the church, were taught this. Like you spend eternity in hell and you're tormented forever, right? Um, then there is also the annihilationist view. Um, and, and so that's a, that's a different perspective that some people view, which is like that you actually experience temporary torment in hell. Another language that's used is uh, conditional mortality, that like you don't actually exist forever, that there's a tormenting period or something, and then you cease to exist. So anyway, scholars debate both of them. Um, You might have not even heard that there's multiple views. Uh, Some people that have kind of grown up in the traditional ECT view, uh, I think sometimes are maybe a little too excited about it. I don't know. It's like, no, they've got to burn forever. Like, I'm like, well, why is that so exciting to you, you know? And why do you believe that so strong? And I don't know. I Trust me, there's a lot of argument to be made on both sides of this. Uh, but you just have to wonder. I think one of the fears is that if the torment isn't eternal, that maybe they won't want to follow Jesus. Which I'm like, isn't that poor evangelism and poor logic, right? Like, is that really how we want to get people into eternity with God? Is like, do you just not want to burn forever? Okay, good. Well, then follow Jesus, you know? Like, let me imagine, like, me and my wife are standing, you know, we're getting ready to get married, and she looks at me, and she goes, honey, why do you want to marry me? And I go, babe, I just hate the idea of being single, right? Like, that's a terrible reason to get married. 
And, and it's not even a real marriage, right? That's not love. That's not what God's inviting you into. It's just like, I just hate the idea of hell, so whatever, I guess I'll do the Jesus thing. That's not what this is about. This is an invitation to experience heaven, not just in eternity, but right here and right now. And it's, it's beautiful. And so we can cast a better vision of that. So anyway, there's lots of scriptures. I don't have time. You can look up Matthew 24, 46. Kind of uh, talks a little bit about the duration of that suffering. Uh, Matthew 10, 28 also talks about this a little bit. Um, so take this to your small group this week and have fun. Just have some fun. Uh, make sure you uh, smile at each other as you talk about it. Uh, but here's what we do know, is that this is really important, is that the duration isn't nearly as important as the decision. What we do know is that it's something we don't want to experience, something we don't want our friends to experience. The duration of that experience isn't nearly as important as the decision. You have a decision to make. Today, whether you want a God or you want to be God, that really is ultimately the choice. And so we want to talk about these things. We want to talk about heaven and hell. Uh, I love what Dorothy Sayers says. She says, there seems to be a kind of conspiracy to forget or to conceal where the doctrine of hell comes from. The doctrine of hell is not medieval priestcraft for frightening people into giving money to the church. Some of you have been there, right? Give the money, go to hell. Anyway, uh, she says, instead, it is Christ's deliberate judgment on sin. We cannot repudiate hell without altogether repudiating Christ. Once again, God is a good judge. He's a just judge. And all sin will go punished. The question is, do you want the punishment or will you allow Christ to be punished for you? He says, I want to take the punishment for you. And so again, this isn't a question of are you good enough to get to heaven? No, like like God wants you to be with him right? He loves you. This isn't a question of does God love me? That was decided on the cross. He already loves you. He already died for the sins of the world. It's an invitation to be healed, to be made right, to be restored. I have to touch on this question before we finish up because I think a lot of people may be asking, um, is there an unforgivable sin? Because some of you came in here today and you're like, Brian, I'm pretty far gone. I've made some pretty big mistakes. I mean, maybe you're in your 40s or 50s, and to this point, you've got a whole lifetime of regrets, and you're like, I just can't fix that, which if that's you, you are in the perfect place to receive Jesus. It's the moment that you say, I just can't fix that, is the moment that you're ready to receive grace for the first time. Like, is there an unforgivable sin? Uh, Mark 3, 28 says, uh, truly I say to you, all sins, everybody say all sins, all, all sins will be forgiven, the children of man. Amen to that. And whatever blasphemies they utter, okay? But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. This is one of the texts that comes up a lot. Is like, did I blaspheme against the Holy Spirit? What does that mean? Some of you grew up uh, thinking that if you just like use the Lord's name in, a, in an inappropriate way, now you've blasphemed and you're going to hell, Right? Um, here's the good news, is that your tongue is strong, but it's not that strong, okay? Our tongues are powerful, but they're not more powerful than the cross. So what he's saying is that, you know, blasphemy, this idea of like, like using the Lord's name in vain or speaking in a way that is just, is just wrong is, is certainly something worthy of judgment. But when he says blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, he's speaking of somebody spending their whole life in rejecting the work of God in their lives. Like getting to the end of your life and saying, God has done all kinds of things. He sat me in Eagle River at ACF Church that one Sunday, and I heard that message in an invitation to follow Jesus, and I said, I'm not going to do it. I don't want a God. I want to be God. 
That's what blasphemy is. It's to spend the rest of your life rejecting the work of the Holy Spirit. It also brings out a question. We live in a, a state where suicide is an epidemic. And uh, many of you have been touched by suicide. We come into the spring every year in Alaska and we start talking about suicide very openly as a church family because we just say this a lot, one more is too many. And we want to continue to talk openly about mental health and depression uh, because whether you know it or not, as it starts getting brighter outside in Alaska, depression rates start to increase. There's a lot of reasons for that. We can talk about that at another time. But here's the deal. Some of you have lost loved ones and uh, have been deeply impacted by this. Is suicide the unforgivable sin? Here's the question it brings up is like, did that person know Jesus? That's really the question. We don't get to decide that. But what I do believe is that whatever you do at the end of your life is not the deciding factor for whether you spend eternity with God. Praise God for that because I might become like a crotchety, angry old man when I get sick and start to die. Like, I don't know what I'm gonna say. You know, it could be terrible. But if Jesus resides in my heart, that's what makes the difference. And so if you're here today, I want you to know this. Like, it's not the unforgivable sin, but you have a purpose to be here, that we need you here. And if you're dealing with mental health issues or you're just, man, in a dark hole, please reach out for help this week. Like, we need you here. I just want you to know, it might not be the unforgivable sin, but the damage it causes to people around you is unimaginable. It's so much greater than you realize. And so I'm gonna go back to my story here. You know, I, we show up to the hospital and they roll my wife in and I'm just tears in my eyes and I'm just worried about my little boy. And... Um, you know, they roll her in, and I mean, they were, all, they were pro. They were all ready to go, waiting for us when we got there. And I still remember this nurse, she ran over, and she had the heart monitor. And as quickly as she could, she, could, she stuck the heart monitor on my wife's belly. And I just heard that heartbeat for the first time that day. And just tears started flowing down my face. And she looked at me, and she said, he's going to be beautiful. And I just, man, I just dropped to my knees. It was, it was such a moment where, like, everything was fine. She was fine. It was a moment of fear just had the longest ride of my life, but at the end, I'm just this moment of redemption. And right now, in the world, are moments of redemption everywhere. I mean, I was watching a video yesterday of these U Ukrainian Christians in an underground bunker singing worship to God with their whole hearts. You know, th these are moments of beauty amidst destruction. And you're going to continue to see that. The Bible talks about this time in history like birth pains. That we're like looking forward to this moment where, where Jesus returns and establishes his reign here. But we live in the, this in-between moment where we've been given a call by God to bring the gospel to the world, to share some good news in a world of really, really bad news. I don't know if you know this, but Paul, um, who wrote most of the New Testament, went through some real times of depression himself. In fact, the struggles that he was going through caused him to be, many scholars have thought, even suicidal himself. He was wrestling with whether or not to be in this world or to go on to the next. It says in uh, Philippians 1.21, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. He says, My desire is to depart and to be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Paul says, listen, I want to go be with Jesus. And some of you have felt like that. 
In fact, I've heard a lot of people recently say this, just come, Lord Jesus, come. Just come back and just return, Jesus. And although we look forward to the day Jesus returns, here's the deal. That's not the posture of us as the church. ACF, if you have breath in your lungs today and you follow Jesus, your purpose for life is to share the gospel with someone. That's why you exist. That's what Paul was saying. Paul's like, hey, I want to go on to the next life. This world sucks sometimes. It feels like hell sometimes, but I know that I'm here for a purpose, and so I will continue to live and strive after the things God calls me to strive after for the sake of one more hearing the good news of Christ. And so that's why we live here in Eagle River. That's why we do what we do is for that one more. You have a one more in your life that God has placed in your sphere of influence. I want you to consider sharing some good news with them this week. What's your next step? I want you to grab your action card off the seat. Um, maybe it's kind of sitting underneath you somewhere. This is just something we do every week. And you can drop these in the basket on the way out. And we're going to text you just a reminder of what God did in your heart this morning. But maybe today you need to begin by following Jesus, just by saying yes to Christ. If that's you, that, you can make that decision today. And, and it will change your entire life. Maybe you need to begin living like your days are numbered. Have you sort of lived like you're going to live forever? And today's made you go, man, maybe... I need to think a little bit more seriously about that. Do you need to confess your fear of death to somebody? I mean, this is something that I think even Christians deeply deal with. Uh, it's the fear of death. I've experienced this. And so maybe you just need to sit down with someone and go, I'm, I'm scared. So help me understand why I'm scared. And, and is there something about what I believe about God that, uh, that isn't correct of him? Maybe today you need to share Jesus with someone like it's your last chance. I want you to know this today. We only get this moment. That's what the Bible says. It says, you get promised this moment. And so whatever it is in your life, I just want, I want to be the church that's just like, we just say yes to Jesus. Can we just be that ACF? Can we be the church that's like, when God says do something, we just do it? You know, like I, some of you, like you've been putting off baptism for 20 years. And, and every time you've been like, next month, next time, it's not for me. But what if today was the day that you just said, I'm just going to live like I don't know if I get tomorrow, but I know that I get this moment. So I'm going to be obedient to God in this moment. Would you stand up? And if you would like to get baptized, feel free here as we uh, pray at the end of this prayer just to go out to the lobby. And uh, they have shorts and shirts and literally everything you could possibly need. And so if you showed up today and you're like, I'm not really in the baptism gear, uh, we took care of you. So no excuses. We've got you covered. Uh, just encourage you to follow Jesus, whatever he's asking you to do. So let's pray. God, thank you for this morning. And Man, just so much here, God. What we know is that you're inviting us into something beautiful. And ultimately, God, you are going to be beautiful when we see you in fullness one day. So we look forward to that moment of redemption and healing. But God, sometimes life feels like a long ride. God, give us endurance. I pray we'd fix our eyes on you. God, in those moments of hopelessness and lack of joy, God, that we would remember that we are here for a purpose. God, that one more person would hear the good news of Jesus in our city. We love you. We thank you for your grace. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Love you guys. Thanks for watching this message from ACF Church. Uh, we hope it's encouraged you and challenged you to be more like Jesus and to walk with him in a closer and more profound way. If you'd like to give to the mission of ACF Church, you can do so at the link on the screen or at acfak.org. We love you and we'll see you next week.